Uh, verse 23, for I received from the Lord uh, what I also passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night which he was betrayed, the Bible says that he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This is Paul talking, okay? This is Paul speaking of Jesus. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, right? Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Do this whenever you drink it in uh, remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, let's say that again. Whenever you eat this bread, right? and drink of this cup you proclaim the lord's death here's the real deal you proclaim the lord's death it's more than bread it's more than wine but the reality and the purpose and the motive is you're proclaiming you are actively calling and recollecting to mind the lord's death until it comes i want to take a few moments this morning <clears throat> and i really felt it in my heart and in my spirit to remind the saints of the sanctity and the the sacredness of holy communion uh, it wasn't really until a few days ago we decided to take a turn and to have holy communion because i felt convicted that that a little leaven the bible says leavens the whole lump and, and, and if we're not careful, we can be lulled into a cultural mindset that, you know, communion, we'll get to it when we get to it. And, 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 and I was reminded by the Holy Spirit, you know, there was a group of people in the church in the days of Paul at Corinth who, for whatever reason, decided to put communion on the back burner. And not only did they put communion on the back burner, for whatever reason, they started mingling and, and what I would call syncretism. They started compromising some of the motives and activities of what God had called sacred and sanctified. Now, may I use that word in this church, okay, without anybody judging me? Sacred and sanctified. I want to talk about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Would you say that with me? The Lord's Supper. I don't know what tradition uh, some of you all grew up in. Uh, if you grew up in uh, the Anglican or, or, or the Orthodox or the Lutheran or the Methodist or the Baptist or maybe you grew up in the Pentecostal. Maybe some of you all didn't grow up in any church tradition. But there's a chance that some of you all remember the terminology, the Lord's Supper. Now, if you came from the, 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 the ritzy side of town and you went to one of those bourgeois churches, right? You probably called it the Eucharist, right? Sounds real steep and spiritual. We're going to observe the Eucharist. Eucharist, right? Uh, either way it goes, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, or the Eucharist, it was a sacrament. A sacrament. In the Catholic Church, and Catholicism, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, there's somewhere between seven and nine sacraments. 
But in the Protestant church, when Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but when Martin Luther in 1500s came with the Protestant Reformation, he said, you know what? Man should live by faith and not by all of these works. So one of the things he did at the doors of Pennington is he nailed to the doors that it is no longer about the penance of man as much as about walking by faith. Oh, by the way, we're going to do with about, we're going to do away with all these unnecessary sacraments and we're really going to nail it down to about two, maybe three at the most, right? And Holy Communion was one of them. Baptism was one of them. Children's dedication could have been considered, depending on your tradition, as one of them. I want to talk about the understanding of the sanctity and the sacredness of Holy Communion. I hope I haven't lost anybody this too soon in the message. The sanctity and the sacredness of Holy Communion. I grew up in, 19, in the late 70s and 80s in Houston, Texas. I was a member of what we would have called the Ironside type Baptist church. The name of the church was Progressive New Hope Baptist Church in Third Ward, Houston, Texas. It was considered one of those kind of kind of pseudo, you know, Baptist church, but yet had a little flair of holiness. Uh, therefore, they called it, nicknamed it one of those Ironside, well, whatever what the terminology came from, I don't know, but Baptist church was right. And, and I, I can remember as a child growing up in the church, the seriousness of communion. I don't remember a lot of things about, you know, I was only, uh, I was a child, so, uh, you know, at the age of six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. I don't remember a lot of things, but I do remember the white gloves that they would put on. I do remember uh, the, 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 the fear of being told that you probably shouldn't participate in communion if your life wasn't right, even as a child. I remember the songs and the hymns that they would sing, those blood songs that we still sing uh, to this day. I remember some of the traditions and the rudiments and some of the, the, the things that were carried over generation to generation. When I got saved in 1988 as a freshman at North Carolina A&T State University, I can remember now being in the church of God in Christ and going to a church where communion was still held with high regard and high reverence. Blood songs, traditions. Uh, we didn't have the white gloves, but we did have those blood songs and we had tradition. And there was still this mindset that if your life wasn't right, you may want to hold back from taking holy communion. Uh, the book of Corinth was written somewhere between 54, 55, 56 AD. Paul was on his third missionary journey. The whole purpose of Corinth, or the whole purpose of Paul writing, and by the way, this will be considered a prison correspondence. In other words, Paul was probably in Rome in jail as he wrote to the churches that he could no longer visit. So he writes to this church and says, we've got problems that I'm hearing about. I can't be there, but word gets out fast about your insecurities, your immaturities, and your inequities. In fact, let me go forward. Corinth was a corrupt society. Maybe today it'd be compared to Las Vegas. Maybe it can be, be compared today to some of our more secular, worldly cities, if, if not all of them are right now. It was a city that, was, 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 that has differences. 
its divisions, its disorders, and dysfunctions. These were the dominant traits of not only the city, but now it was having its, it was having its impact on the church. So the church should have been strong and vibrant. Instead, the church was seeping back into immaturity, seeping back into insecurity. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives warning and instructions to the church to be extremely careful not to blend in, not to compromise with the sinful, stay with me my dear friends, or the secular nature of the world that surrounded the church. In other words, Paul wanted every member of the church to know, be so very careful about allowing the culture of the world to penetrate and now start influencing people in the church. Uh, I wonder what Paul would say today if he was living in our world in time. Uh, what would be the answer? What would be the, the conversation points from pandemic, viruses, vaccinations, and variants? I think it's my responsibility to say this. I hadn't really said that that's stronger than I should, and I kind of feel bad about this. No matter where you're at on this pendulum or on, on this scale of vaccinations, I think I've come to a point now where I'm just tired of hearing about people dying. And I've been tired. But I'm more tired now than I've been in the last 18 months. And I don't know for whatever reason, for whatever reason, you won't get vaccinated. Do the responsible thing for those that are around you. No matter where you mentally are, academically are, you know, syndrome or, 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 or paranoia, whatever you got going on in your space, be considerate of so many others around you. 80 million people are still not vaccinated in our world, excuse me, in our country. The majority of them are black and brown. And I don't want to get political on you, but I will say this. If you're not going to get vaccinated, at least up your insurance premium some. Amen. Ain't no need for your family to be sad when you die and sad because they can't bury you. At least do the responsible thing and get you some more policies. And uh, add the church uh, as a beneficiary uh, while you're at it. All right. Uh, while you're at it. I'm just I'm just you have not because you ask not. I'm just asking. Right. We don't know what type of miracle God want to do in these next, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that was just a cough to clear my throat, not a nothing else, right? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, just saying. In, I didn't mean to say that. I'm not going to say that word, but I will say this. Be very careful about allowing the world to suck you in and draw you into a mindset that goes against biblical responsibilities, theological soundness, and biblical practice. Be so very careful to listen to the voices of critics and voices of nobodies and not to the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit. I, I got to move on. I, I don't want to spend too much time dealing with this. But there was dysfunctions today as it was then. There was disorder today as it was then. You know, hopelessness broke bleakness 
barrenness, despair, despondency, disappointment, all of these things we are all dealing with today. And it doesn't help. It doesn't help when you combine all of that with the fact we're not quite sure what tomorrow holds. Because many of us, we take our eyes off the word of God. We take our eyes off what God is saying. And we're just as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. I, I want to share something with you. Paul goes to the heart of the matter in chapter 11. He deals with the church. And he wants us go. He wants us. He wants to focus in with laser focus on the fact that there is a huge potential that you're not discerning the Lord's body. There is a huge potential that we have lowered the, we've lowered the, you know, we've lowered our respect and our reverence. And now we become content with that which God called sacred. Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. It's one thing to take our eyes off the things of God because of popularity and, and, and power and money and things that come along with those things. But now you combine that with the fear and you combine that with the uncertainty and the unknown and people are dying and you got this issue and get that issue and, and all of this stuff is swirling all at the same time. It's so very easy to take your eyes off the main thing. I want to talk to you about three very important truths of how we understand the sanctity and sacredness of Holy Communion. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in fact, I want to pick up in verse 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to verse 17. Let me turn to verse 17. Yes, it's on your phone. Yes, it's on your notes. But if you have your Bibles, come on, let's go to verse 17. let me, let me just, let me highlight something for you. The Bible says, chapter 11, verse 17. In the following directors, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And you know what? To some extent, I believe it. No doubt there has been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, is it not for the Lord's Supper? Okay? Is it not for the Lord's Supper? Now, let me just talk to you just for a moment. Because when we say Lord's Supper, it's not as the Lord's Supper that I announced this morning. I eat communion in the Eucharist. It was the Holy Feast. It was a time when the church got together. They brought the food. They brought the drinks. They brought the napkins. They brought the Kleenex. They brought everything. And they had this really big gathering, what we would call a potluck dinner, all right? And they would have it out. They would have a wonderful time, okay? That was the Lord's Supper and Paul's vernacular then. But he'll transition in a moment. So he said, and I'll, I'll prove it to you right here. He says, uh, first of all, for as you eat, um, uh, each of you goes ahead without waiting uh, for anybody else. Uh, men, where is your southern chivalry where you should allow the ladies to be served first, but you, with your rusty self, is the first one in line trying to pile up as if you had the Chinese buffet. Uh, uh, that's only another message. One remains hungry. Uh oh, uh oh, and another one is getting drunk. Are we okay so far? Now, I don't know about you, 
But I don't think Paul stuttered or stammered at his words. I don't know how one could have gotten drunk unless they were overly excessively indulging in alcohol when it really wasn't for the purpose of getting drunk. The wine was for the purpose of continuing on the remembrance of me part of Jesus, not so you get your high on. Uh, uh, I noticed some of y'all not saying amen uh, at that point. I know it's a new day in time. I know it's after COVID and people are new in the spirit and have church at home and people have a new theology, but I still think holiness is right. I still believe right is right and wrong is wrong. I still believe that we should abstain. Everybody okay? I don't know. Why, why is it when I get to my alcohol, people get quiet in the church? You know, used to be a time in the church, you could talk about alcohol and folks would say, amen, that's right, Reverend, that's right, Pastor. But now, you just nod your head and keep your mask on and hope that nobody kind of play on your face and everything. All I'm just saying, the man of God in the Bible said, how is it that you tow up at, at the love feast when it wasn't the purpose? For the wine that was being served. Okay? You all want to have a theological class real quick? I know we got some preachers out there that try to sanctify this message and say, well, you know, the wine was infirmitive. It didn't have no alcohol in it. No, that, 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 no, 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 that's not true. It did have alcohol in it. How do I know? Because when Jesus served the wine to the disciple, Holy Communion, okay, here we go. When the Lord served the Passover, y'all remember Matthew, the Bible says he served Passover before he was betrayed. Passover was not one, not two, not three, but it was four rounds of the cup of wine. Not one, but four rounds. Go home and read your Bible uh, when you read your Bible. Four rounds of the cup of wine, right? So no wonder, Matthew 26, when Jesus comes back and says, I need y'all to stay awake from me for one hour while I go up there and pray. But remember now, they didn't have four glasses of wine, right? Uh, he comes back a second time and says, could you not have stayed awake one hour uh, while I went and prayed? You would have thought on the night of the betrayal, as important as it was to stay awake and guard Jesus, these 12 rascals would have stayed awake. But they couldn't have stayed awake. Why? Because they have four wine cups of wines in their belly. And they were towed up to, from the floor. All I'm trying to say is this. So we, 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 we say this thing to try to overly clean the scriptures. The scriptures don't need no cleaning. It's clean all by itself. The truth of the matter was, it was alcohol. But it doesn't give you and I license to drink. Well, Paul tells Timothy to take some wine for his stomach's sake. Well, that's because, number one, his name was Timothy. Your name is Bertha. You're not Timothy, first of all. Okay? Number two, that's about the best thing they had concerning medicine back in that day and time. Now, we live in the 21st century. We got all type of stuff for your stomach. Say, there's Xanax, there's Pepto-Bismol, there's Tums, there's Alka-Seltzer, there's, there, if you ain't got none of that, there's Sprite, there, there, there's uh, ginger ale, there's all type of stuff. I should have raised the offering before I preach this message today because it's going to be a tough week budget-wise. So the point I'm making is this. Uh, what was the point I was making? <laughs> so where was I? Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know where I was at. I'm just messing with y'all. Make sure y'all know where I was at, okay? So one remains hungry and another gets drunk. Notice what Paul says next, verse 23. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? This is not the time to come to the Lord's love feast, the Lord's supper, to show out your drinking prowesses 
This is not the time to be selfish and self-centered and, and, and jump in the line and skip the line and get all the food to where there's no more equity left for everybody else. Let's keep reading. Bible goes on to say, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Paul says, certainly not. There's all type of activities going on when the main thing should have been recollecting, covenant, commitment, and continuing. But no, this church getting fancy. Oh, they have started allowing the outside cultural values of the world to penetrate and come inside and rewrite scripture and rewrite what thus saith the Lord. Uh, Holy Communion, I just want to share this with everyone as if you don't know, right? Holy Communion is a sacred, a sanctified time of common fellowship and commemoration as the body of Christ in the body of Christ the local church. Let me say that again. It is a sacred, it is a sanctified time of fellowship. What kind of fellowship? Common fellowship. And here's the main word here. The main word in this definition is commemoration. Commemoration. There's an activity involved. There's an effort involved. There's some intentionalism involved right there. It is a time to commemorate. That's not being haphazard. That's not accidentally or just by the way, no. It is a focused, determined, and intentional time to come together to bring back those things that are most important. How do we do it? As, excuse me, we do it in, uh-oh, the body of Christ. And we do it as the body of Christ. Uh, if you didn't like me 10 minutes ago, you're really not going to like me now. I, I don't believe sinners should come together and take Holy Communion. I know it looks popular, it looks fancy, it looks divine, it looks sacred, it looks holy, but in the body of Christ and as the body of Christ. You know, when the woman of God was here last week, she was preaching and teaching, and I just, I had so many illustrations going on in my head while she was talking about the difference between praise and worship. I said, woman of God, you are preaching right about now. I said, you know what, you're right. Now that I think about it, anybody can praise the Lord. I look at all these BET and MTV and all of these NAACP shows and concerts and you know how to get the award and then they always have a gospel time during the show. I, I don't know why. Just leave it alone. Just don't even bring them no more. But when you have the BET show and the MTV and the, uh, what's the other show? Um, uh, Oscars and uh, what's the music one called? Not the Oscars, but the uh, Grammys, right? There's always that gospel moment, right? And, and I don't know, Soul Train Awards, thank you, Cashmere. Uh, <laughs> 50, oh, by the way, the 50 years yesterday, I think I seen online. 50 years ago, Soul Train debut. Thank you, Cashmere, for letting us know. So, without, with all that being said, they get into this gospel moment. And everybody want to get real religious real fast, right? But have you ever noticed how the world can pretty much nail it when it comes to praise? They can shout, they can wave their hand, they can cry, they can hit all the notes, they can do everything. But, but when that transition to worship comes in, they, they somehow never get the baton. Somehow or another, they never transition over. They try, but then they start falling all out over each other and uh, vomiting and throwing up and foaming at the mouth and all. They're trying, but it's kind of like the seven sons of Sceva. It looked like we could handle this. It we thought we could do this, but there's an anointing 
on worship. There's an intimacy on worship. There is a right on worship. There's an, an exclusivity to worship. And everybody can praise him. We know that by practice. But when you come into the holies of holies and you worship, and this is why Jesus himself said, the Father seeketh those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So every time I see a Fantasia or one of those sisters or one of them brothers, you know, Snoop Dogg could have made an album on praise and made a whole lot of money. But he'll never make an album on worship. Not going to happen. Because God won't allow it. You can have all of the country singers, all of the rap singers, all of the ungodly folk, and I'm not judging nobody. I'm just saying, you tell a tree by the fruit it bears. I'm not judging. I'm looking at the fruit that falls from, from the tree. So if you're going to be a devil all year long, but for about 10 minutes on the BET Awards show, you're going to be a saint. All right, we'll give you the praise part, but you will never enter the worship part. Now, if you think I'm being overly critical, the next time you look at one of those awards show, just watch with a discerning eye. You'll see the praise. You'll see the movement. You'll see the clapping. You'll see everything else. Let them try to go to a worship and see what happens. They'll go to a commercial break in a heartbeat. You know why? Because it looks like a hot mess. Uh, you can tell I hadn't preached in two or three weeks. I'm trying to get everything in in one sermon real quick. Uh, Tony, where's Sister Tony at? She already left for the game already? She's already gone? Oh, she was with the teens. She's a huge cowboy fan. And I just thought maybe she'd level her early to go have a prayer meeting. You know, tell your mama it's not a real prayer meeting. She's at the teens. Okay. All right, real quick. So let me get back on target. So let me close out with three things. I want to give you three things. Holy communion should remind you of three very important truths. Okay? When we come together for communion, and I realize that we're in a virtual space, and, and, and because we are in this virtual space, I think God is a, not think, excuse me, because God is the God of grace, we have to concede and allow people to, 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 to um, participate in their homes. Somebody at the hospital, somebody who's locked up, we have to allow them, if they have a conscience and a conviction that they're walking with the Lord, I, who am I to tell them they can't go get a piece of loaf of bread and some, some, some juice or some wine or something and participate in a virtual space of communion in this season? In this season. All right? We don't want to confuse the absolutes with the preferences. Uh, we prefer you to be here. But we understand in this virtual season, if you still want to participate but can't make it, you stay home, but you participate in communion. I prefer an elder to serve it. But we understand in this season, you serve yourself. Have no conviction. Don't feel like we're going to hell because of it. But there's something sacred that we cannot share with the world. I think we have laid down our absolutes so to a point where the world no longer respects our desires or sees it even as a challenge to be a part of. We've reduced and we've discounted and we have made little of worth of nothing what we do as a church. So to the point, the world said, look, if it ain't important to y'all, why should it be important to us? I want to get back to a place where sinners would desire to be a part of communion. Now desire a time when there'll be such a glory and such a power and a presence the West Enders would say, I got to get me right so I can be a part of this.
That's how I grew up. That's how many of us grew up. And to this day, I believe that's why we're saved, sanctified, because there's a sacredness, a seriousness. Let me give you the backside of that. Let me, let me just, it, it, I mean, you don't have to believe my rhetoric. If you're looking at me as I'm some rhetoric charlatan who's just giving you some speech on a Sunday, let's go back to the word of God. Here's what the word says. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, let's look at verse 27. Verse 27, all right? 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, they will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning King James, New King James, not discerning the Lord's body. Let me read one more. For this reason. Are you with me still? For this reason. Many of you are, are weak. Many are sick. And many have fallen asleep. Notice Paul's language. Notice his language. Many are weak. That is, you're, in, in, you're impotent. You're without power. Not physically weak, necessarily, but spiritually weak. Impotent. Without spiritual power. Many of you are, are sick. Now, we all won't get sick from time to time. But I'm not too sure it's the will of God you're always sick. Sickly is the word we would use. Sickly. Always sick. Never heal. Never deliverance. Never breakthrough. No answered prayers. Stay with me. And he says, many of you all have fallen asleep. Spiritually, you have checked out on God. You've quit. You've retired. And some, you prematurely died. I'm not quite sure many of us would have made it in the days of Paul. I know we say we want to go back and live them days of the miracle. Oh, Jesus, I just wish I could have lived in them Bible days. Oh, I just wish I could have seen them signs and wonders. Oh, I just wish I could have. I, I'm not quite sure we would have made it in those days. Can you imagine being in the room with Anais and Sapphira? Y'all remember Anais and Sapphira, don't you? I love Aquila and Priscilla. They were a good couple. But on the flip side, Anais and Sapphira, you remember the ones who Peter said, you lied on the Holy Ghost. And they dropped dead right there. And why was they lying? They weren't lying because of fornication. They weren't lying because of adultery. They were lying because they didn't pay their tithes. Oh, God. Here I go again. Here he go again. He had to throw the money in there somewhere. Shut up, devil. Let me keep preaching. So they lied because they got an envelope and they wanted to front in front of the people and say, look how deep and how spiritual and how generous we are. But when the deacons counted the money in the back room, that envelope was just as empty, right, as an empty can. And so Peter said, you know what, I'm the new leader here, and I'm the new bishop here, and I got to sit over in the house. He said, uh, 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 and Sapphira, Anias, I'm going to talk to you, uh, uh, young preacher. Uh, now, you, you kind of front it in front of all the people on TV and in the radio and on the Internet in front of the crowd. He said, but look here, the deacons told me it wasn't in that envelope. Wasn't so much that he lied to the people. It wasn't so much he lied to, to the leaders. Peter said, how is it 
that you could have lied to the Holy Spirit. You know what Peter was protecting? He was protecting the unity of the spirit of the people. That's what he was protecting. It wasn't, it wasn't a flesh call. It wasn't so much that he was all that or the people were all that. But how dare you break up the spirit of the people, the unity. An old girl, she's out there at the mall buying Louis Vuitton and Chanel <laughs> with the money that she said she had given online. Come here, sister girl, we want to talk to you too. <laughs> uh, let me ask you a question. Your, your, your boo, uh, did he do what you, what he said he and y'all, oh yeah, he, he, a, he a great man. Well, you see his feet right there? The same men who carry, who are going to carry him out is going to carry you out too. And she dropped dead too. Right? Uh, I just heard nobody now wants to be part of the book of Acts in the room right now. All of a sudden, everybody said, you know what? I think I'll stay right here in 2021 under the grace of God. All right. Let me give you these three things. We had to close. Many are weak. Many are sick. Many are falling asleep. Why? Because they could not discern. Would you say that word with me? Discern. They could not discern. The word discern, two words, discern. They could not separate the two. They could not distinguish, separate the two. They couldn't distinguish between the natural and the spiritual. My time is almost up. But here's the, here's the pinnacle of the moment. Holy communion is not a natural event. The Lord's Supper cannot be regarded as just bread and wine, some gold songs, some white gloves, and some we do once a month. It has to be sacred. It has to be sanctified. It has to be holy. I believe, oh God help me when I say this, I believe, I believe everything rises and falls on our reverence and respect for the things of God when it relates to Holy Communion. We weren't supposed to have Holy Communion three days ago. Why? My honest admission is we've gotten too busy. I've gotten too busy. I've forgotten the plan. Forgot to make this and do this and do that and do this. For, oh, my God, my first Sunday. And we've now come to a point, Ella Hall, please remind me of this. Please remind me of this. We're now at a point, whether I'm in town or not, whether I'm on another ministry spiritual assignment or not, this church should have Holy Communion every first Sunday. I had a lady argue me, she, she's no longer here in the ministry, but she wanted me to know why we shouldn't have Holy Communion but once, twice a year because we need to make sure to make, we need to make it a real grand occasion, a real grand occasion, and the processional, and the bells and smells, and the whistles, and all that. And, and I could get it, I understand where she was coming from, I really do. But Jesus said, as often as you do this, as often, as often. I don't know if I can afford to wait every uh, six months. There's too many unrepentant sins in the church. I don't know if we can afford to have communion once a year. There's too many issues happening here and there. I need about once a month, if not more, to be a stop, pause, and let us examine ourselves. I would hope I'm not the only one in the room. But we need to take a moment to stop, pause, and let a man examine himself. They couldn't separate the two. Spiritual. And natural. Let me give you three things and I'm finished. Number one, Holy Communion is a time of commemorating as a church. Okay? Number two, Holy Communion is a time of commitment as consecrated people. Number three, Holy Communion is a time of 
covenant with Christ and his kingdom. Give me eight minutes and I'll close this message. Number one, it is a time of commemorating as a church. Notice the word verse 24 and 25, 1 Corinthians 11. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever, whenever, whenever. It is a time of bringing back to mind. I know we get busy making money. I know we get busy shaking hands. I know we get busy with school. We get busy with all these activities. But every once in a while, it needs to be almost regimented. It needs to be almost cyclical. It needs to be almost on time, every time, that we bring to mind actively that Jesus lived, that he died, that he was buried, and he rose from the dead. The bread will always represent the brokenness, the humanity, and the fact that he was broken for my sin sins that I would be made whole. The blood was shed on Calvary's cross. Thank God for the rugged, ugly, blood-stained cross of Christ. It should remind us that we are not redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold and degrees and certificates and houses and money and achievements and accolades, but we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus and so it is a time to actively call to mind do this in remembrance a memorial of his death his burial and resurrection you know Peter reminds us and I love this scripture found in 2nd Peter 3 1 and 2 beloved I write you the second epistle in both which I want to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder Sometimes I think we forget the things of God, the word of God, what he has done. Bible reminds us in Psalm 917, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And every nation that forgets God and every nation, I wonder are we living in that Psalm today? Every nation that has moved God out of the government, moved God out of the church, moved God out of the schools, moved God out of society, moved God off the money, moved God out of everything. And the wicked shall be turned into hell and every nation. All right? That forgets. My brothers and sisters, don't forget God. On your climb to success, don't forget God. As you go with upward mobility and God begin to bring increase, opportunities, and open doors, don't forget God. Understand, understand, the Bible reminds us of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. Just kind of wonder sometimes, do we get so new we forget where we've come from? Thank you, Pastor Tim, for that reminder earlier today. We forget what God has done for us. I know I need to close this message and Please forgive me for deviating too much during the sermon. I was telling someone yesterday that my biggest fear in this season is being so busy. I forget to stop and pause and enjoy the beauty of this fall season. I read a book years ago by Randall Robinson called Quitting America. It talked about why black men were leaving the country moving to islands and moving to different parts of the world 
because of hurt and disappointment, this, that, and the other. But somewhere in that book, it, it closed by talking about an African-American surgeon who worked in South Africa, but he lived, I believe it was the state of Minnesota. And he would commute twice a year, every year. And it dawned upon him on a plane coming back from South Africa, which was in one season of his calendar year, to Minnesota, which is in another season of his calendar year. He had left South Africa right as it was coming out of winter and going into the spring. But when he landed 18 hours into uh, uh, Minnesota, it was going into the winter of his year, different hemisphere, obviously. And he realized then he had missed an entire year of seasons. And I said to myself, as much as I love spring and the flowers and the birds and the chirping and spring ball and the fact that winter's over with and tax returns and, and, and uh, <laughs> um, uh, nice weather and open the windows up. Here come the pollen. Oh my God. Uh, here come, got, I got to wash the car. Now I'm sneezing. There's some Zyrtex D. Now, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But, 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 but fall, Mother Helen, is different. What a beautiful season. The, 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 the changing of the leaves. The Christmas of the cracking of the leaves when you walk on them. Just, just you know, the, the, the crackling smell of fireplaces. Football Friday nights. This is something about the fall. But if we're too busy to enjoy it, if we're too in a hurry to get through the seasons, we would have forgotten some of the most beautiful creations. My brothers and sisters, I'm sorry to deviate on that one, but don't be so in a hurry to get to wherever the devil you're going to forget the beauty of the now. I'm telling young people everywhere I go as much as I can, don't be so in a hurry to get to the finish line. Enjoy the journey as you go toward the finish line. Do you hear me? Don't forget the things that God has done for you. Number two, a time of commitment as consecrated people. Let me say that again. Holy communion today, as it has been since Jesus first demonstrated in Matthew, it should be a time of commitment as consecrated people. What kind of people? All right, I, I got my eye on the clock. I said eight minutes, I got three left. What kind of people? Consecrated people. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable servant. Be not conformed to this world, mm -mm. but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may please. That you may know what is the perfect, acceptable will of God. We are called to be a consecrated people. People who are set aside. People who are different. People who are called out. In fact, 
First Peter 2 9 the Bible says excuse me the Bible says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation you are his own special people that you may proclaim that praises of him who called you out of darkness and he's called you into the marvelous light who were once not a people but now Hear me, friends. You are the people of God who were not, uh, who had not obtained mercy, but now today you have obtained mercy. Friends, you are a sanctified person. You are a consecrated person. I know you don't want to say amen, but whether you like it or not, you are consecrated, sanctified believer. You're called out. You're called up. You're called to him. You are not to balk to the beat of this world. I'm almost finished, but stay with me. You at one time had no mercy, but now God has shown mercy to you and to me. Okay? We are sanctified, consecrated, saved. And it's not just in our outward appearance, but may we be sanctified on the inside, in our minds, in our hearts, and in our souls. If you keep reading 1 Peter, he goes on to remind you and I that there was a day and time. In fact, he goes on to say he calls us strangers and pilgrims. What are you saying, pastor? This world is not your home. You are pilgrims passing by. Don't you get so attached to this world that you forget the main thing. That he lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And by the way, he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming back for a consecrated and a sanctified people. He's coming back for people who are saved, sanctified, and filled with the precious Holy Ghost. Number three, and I close. Does anybody remember number one? A time of commemorate, commemorating as a church. Number two, a time of commitment as consecrated people. Uh, number three, a time... Here we go. Uh, uh, of covenant with Christ and his kingdom. Today is a time of covenant. And as I envision preaching this message, I don't know if this message would have been complete without having a time to recommit, to reestablish the main thing. And Holy Communion brings us to an altar where we have covenant with God. And so my question to every one of you today would be simply this. Would you? Commit to serving the Lord. Would you commit to establishing covenant with him? Would you commit to commemorating with the church, as the church, and in the church, to Christ and his kingdom? Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, will always be a time where we actively call to mind that Jesus the Christ 2,000 years ago, he walked on this earth. Now, he was all God, but for 33 years, he was also all man. Mary may have given us a baby, but God gave his only begotten son. Is that right? And whoever, whomsoever believed on him shall have life and shall live and have everlasting life. For he did not come to condemn you. It was never God's plan to keep you guilt-ridden shamed and condemned but he came that you and I would have life and that life will be a life sanctified holy acceptable 
which is the least, the very least we could do is to honor him. Would you stand?